0: Drifting in and out of memories like a dream, awakening to kaiju attacks. It has to be Pacific
1: Rim. the yeah, Drift Space, there. oh just kidding, in this, the, is, in this is in the Drift NBL.
0: Space, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, welcome back to the Monster vs. Men podcast, this is the bargain basement of Monster Podcasting Airwaves, this week as we try to stay alive, we're discussing Pacific Rim, I'm
1: Eric, and I'm Alex, and Alex,
0: I've seen Pacific Rim once before, and I think it was with you probably,
1: it probably, <laughs> yeah. it probably was,
0: yeah, that sounds about right uh with you in theaters 2013 because i remember a couple of scenes from it pretty distinctly um including the post credit scene <laughs>
1: uh, i was wondering if you, i actually it, forgot I, I, well i, I forgot to send you it. a message about it and then i forgot and i was hoping you had seen it
0: i actually did forget about it but as soon as it opened back up i was like oh yeah this does happen it's pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> all right man uh hey we did get uh review on itunes
1: didn't we oh yeah we did Since past week yeah do you want to read that uh, yes or wait is this the? did we get another new one yeah let me see i think we did from uh i'm looking zimzilla it says good podcast very congress however i think alex should step down and have gwen take over as co-host mm. i don't think a yeah. lot of people would argue with that
0: no, I, like I have no counterpoints. So
1: thanks, thanks everybody. <laughs> I think she'd be happy to do it. Now I can't guarantee the shows would be more than like five minutes, maybe ten. Mm-hmm. But, but she maybe would that's have what the people want. <laughs> yeah, I mean they definitely want less of me, which is you know I get it, I get it. I want less of me as well. Uh, <laughs>
0: we'll just get the- we'll just get Theo and Gwen. To be the new host oh can you imagine we'll just we'll just set that up one day and that'll be the start mm. of the podcast
1: there you go and it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we've said it. it
0: before it's not monsters versus men anymore it's kaiju versus kids
1: there you go <laughs>
0: kvk uh, all right well with that said maybe me and you should have a conversation about this film Alex. Yes, maybe we should. All right, let's get right into it. So This is Guillermo del Toro's Godzilla movie. Well, Godzilla meets Transformers, I probably should say. It has a bit of everything that you would expect from a mecha kaiju film, including, well, kaiju that are called kaiju and giant mechas known as Jaegers. When you think about Pacific Rim, Alex, what is the first aspect of this film that comes to mind?
1: can't believe you said Godzilla meets Transformers. But anyway, um the first thing when i think about this film, it's probably Gypsy Danger walking down the street with a boat in their hand with that awesome mm-hmm. music playing in the background. Yeah. And it's just like this uh seminal moment in the film that was in the trailer and unlike most things that occur in trailers, it's not worn mm-hmm. out by the time you see it in the movie. Because when, when this moment happens, it's like, it, it's built up. It's just so perfectly executed. And it's just this really cool moment in the film. And, you know, th- there's these other things that kind of stick with me too, though. And it's how they, how many characters they kill off. Like, some without even really hmm. giving them a chance to shine or, you know, really even develop in a way. Which I really, really like it really ups the stakes when you're willing to take out so many characters like the pilots of uh, Cherno Alpha and Crimson Typhoon. Like These yeah. two heavy hitters feel like they're going to at least stick around for a little while, right? But they immediately get killed. And what makes it so brutal and impactful for me is that we get to watch, we have to watch them die. And some of them even like Cherno Alpha, they really mm-hmm. get put through the ringer before they finally get killed. And yeah. th- those moments, and also we get, I, we get uh, Pentecost and the younger what, Hanson. We see them both make the, the ultimate sacrifice at the end of the film. And it's, it's these mm-hmm. moments that really help elevate Pacific Rim for me. The willingness to kill characters, which is something we don't see a lot of. No, and I do like that aspect of the film. And honestly, I really
0: like Pacific Rim. I think it's a fantastic showpiece of, of some of the elements that really make us fans appreciate the genre. However, I, I also do have some lingering feelings um, that with all the tools at its disposal, I don't know if it quite lives up to what I think it could be. Um, but I'm sure we'll get to a few of those critiques in a second. The first, the first thing I want to say, and I think this is going to be the main takeaway for me when thinking about Pacific Rim, is how awesome the world building is. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this has it all, and it, it's a lot of work to create a sci-fi fantasy film in a brand new universe that has the complex rules that this film does. Right? Usually, yeah. a film that that's trying to establish all these different rules for this universe, it becomes dragged down by those elements. They're either boring or they're excessive and we never get anything else besides the rules (laughs) uh here though i never felt that way i never felt that way about pacific rim del toro genuinely is a craftsman at establishing time and place and that shows in this film as well as his others
1: yeah i think he really crafts a really awesome world like you said Mm -hmm. and i think you're gonna disagree with me, and I think a lot of a lot of listeners are actually gonna disagree with one of my takes about this, and it's that I think the characters in this are great. I actually think Rally, Yancey, Stacker, Pentecost, Mako, Newton, Geisler, Gottlieb, Choi, and Chow, and both Hansons are all, at the very least, interesting characters. Hmm. If it sounds like I just listed the entire cast of characters, it's because I pretty much did. And I found something interesting about each and every one of them because they do this interesting thing where we, yeah, some of them we kind of drift deeper into, Mm. (laughs) but they all serve this purpose of developing the world and making it feel like this place that's been existing long before I got into it. Like, we really are diving into the middle of a conflict and the toro makes the world so lived in but unique that it's not hard for me to buy into it like there's this character uh Choi. he's this minor character who interacts frequently with rally uh over comms and his relationship in just a few lines really sells me that all of these relationships existed before i got there but like all the ones that did exist before the film <laughs> started. So I am I'm immediately in Choi Rally and Yancey's world at the beginning of the mm-hmm. film, ready to go mm-hmm. and I actually do feel that that kindred uh sp- that not kindred spirit but that that glee of Choi seeing Rally again, but these Yeah, the, the camaraderie. Cho- yeah, the camaraderie. And it, again, he's this minor character you could you could probably take him out of the film and you really wouldn't miss anything. But it's these characters all add this extra element. Like even Geyser, he's got the he's called a kaiju groupie, which is something that apparently exists in this world. And totally probably what most of this fandom would turn into if this actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. We get tats of these things that are killing thousands and thousands of people but he seems completely unaffected by it i just i know a lot of people probably pass on these characters but i really enjoy a lot of them now you can probably talk me out of hannibal uh chow uh but I, there is this funness to him that i really enjoy well
0: okay so Yeah, I I hear what you're saying, Uh, and I agree with some of it, and I really like Choi, actually, because I think we spend an appropriate amount of time with Choi, and I think, yes, the details that we get about him actually just build up the characters that we're supposed to care about more, right? Right. Um, But yeah, I do think there's an issue with characterization, some with our main characters, but primarily among some of those side characters that you mentioned. Newton, Herman, Hannibal Chow. Uh, Now I know they're supposed to bring the comedy to this film and you know I could even see someone saying they they feel Shakespearean in a sense and how they bring that comic relief uh, as as these over the top clowns. They don't quite fit into the serious world um, that we see everybody else is a part of but with that Mm -hmm. said I think we end up spending too much time with these characters Without any real emotional attachment to them as characters, the stakes for them are—they're in it for a different reason, right? They—they they have no emotional stakes attached, and so we don't have emotional stakes attached. Um, there might be a slight issue with with the casting among some of them as well, but again, that's probably more of a personal preference. But along those same lines, I, I think another flawed aspect of the film is Raleigh's development. I buy Raleigh as a character, um, but we get away from his development about halfway through the film, where we start to focus all on the battles that are taking place and a whole lot less on the characters and the stakes. I do think there's a natural relationship and a natural chemistry between Raleigh and Mako, And that's one of the better parts of the film for me. It's never over the top, but there is a real connection. I just never was fully on board with Raleigh, I think, as the main character. And this is where, you know, some of the world building, I said I was never bored with it, but I was never bored with the world building because I I like that type of thing. I'm, I'm kind of a nerd. Right. Uh we're mm-hmm. as as kaiju fans, we are nerds, right? Like we like that world building <laughs> aspect. But right. potentially some of that characterization that could have gone into the film, what takes its place is that world building. And so you, you get that good world world building, but you might sacrifice other elements that that I think are needed here.
1: Mm. Interesting. Yeah, we, we both have uh, different takeaways from these characters because I, I really, I actually don't have a problem with any of the casting choices myself, but it, except for maybe Ron Perlman, who I just in general don't really care for. Um, I think he, he actually has a few decent movies, like his Hellboy films are pretty, he's pretty great in the Hellboy films, but usually he's kind of thrown in there for, He he's kind of a B tier, C tier actor in a lot of ways um in terms of like the movies he's kind of picked for but it's i do like the rally and mako development what what really sells me on rally's whole story really is the loss of his brother at the beginning of the film and just him mentioning that he felt his loss like mentally he was feeling his death which is like oh that's pretty rough (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. Immediately it sells me. And I I buy his entire journey. I, I do kind of see maybe you seeing that there's a lack of development. But for me, well, I see the development a development
0: happens. Here's the thing, Alex. Here's what I think. I think the development happens between the five years that we miss, right? Like we miss out on five years after his brother dies. Mm. Um yes. that's the the part that I think would be interesting. Uh, (laughs) Um, are those five years? Um, and so we miss that development by the time we get back to Raleigh, he's pretty much processed this grief. Um, it's still there briefly whenever he enters the drift for the first time after coming back, but it's only just for a brief glimpse, right? Uh, other than that, I, I, I sort of wonder, you know, what, what's the point? Like, it's not something that we come back to. Um, so it, it just feels like it's left a little – leaves us out to dry when mm. it comes to that emotional opening, which like kind of similar to, to Rampage that we talked about last week. I love the opening. Um, I wish we would have done more with it, I think.
1: Huh? See, I, I like – I do – I actually like that we get this hot-headed, full-of-himself rally at the beginning, and mm-hmm. then we see him very quickly get humbled. And then five years later – you're right – we do miss that portion where he processes his grief, which would have been nice to see. But I do like that he is now an understated, mostly in control rally, right? He Mm -hmm. does have a couple outbursts, uh, but even then they're pretty controlled uh, compared to what I feel like rally at the beginning of the film is. But I do like that. We see these little snippets of his character where he makes these, smirks you see him get a little hot-headed and revert back to what we've got a glimpse of but i can't agree with you that maybe we had either maybe if we had spent more time with uh uh big ego rally at the beginning of the film we could have appreciated, appreciated some of these moments more
0: yeah yeah uh you know maybe it comes down to another critique that i have and i know I've, I, again i I think I'm coming off a little harsh because I do like this film. Um, But I think another critique is harder to put a finger on exactly. I think it comes just down to the fact that I think this film has so much potential. To go back to what you are saying real quick, Alex, actually, about uh, Ron Perlman being maybe like a B-movie actor. Yes. I do think there might be a casting issue here, right? Um, Because several of these actors... I wouldn't necessarily say they're B movie actors, but we don't see that like, but they kind of are, right? Like, uh, well, the, <laughs> uh that, I, I wouldn't mean, say B movie, like,
1: just B tier, right? They're, B tier. They're, yeah. It's, it's B-tier, not B-tier, B-tier, the B-tier Chris B-tier Pratt actors. or Chris Evans of, of uh, yeah, yeah, I would rather. So, so for
0: me, like if, when I'm watching a movie, whenever you have the B tier, like a cast of B tier actors, like, um, and I mean, I, I'm talking about our main lead. Even right, Uh Charlie Hunnam? Is that how you say it?
1: Yeah. No, uh, this was during this movie released during the heyday of Sons, yeah. Sons of Anarchy. He hasn't
0: done anything since, right? And like he, he's done uh, some stuff.
1: He's done. He's done uh, a few things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. B. B. B you know. Yeah. B tier movies. I guess. Yeah. I mean, was uh, like he
1: did another uh Guillermo del Toro movie. He did uh the Land of Z or whatever it was. The Amazon. Uh, that was actually that was okay. Theaters?
0: Yeah, that was good. Yeah, he's again, he, he like,
1: quite a bit actually.
0: He's just not. He's just not who I would think about as like an A-list he's sort not. of actor. I agree. And so even even he, right? Idris Elba, I would say, is your biggest A-list actor here. But then these other actors, right, including Ron Perlman, um, including Charlie Day, Bern Gorman. These these are kind of what you would consider B-tier actors. Uh, And when you have a full cast of them, it makes me be like, why even cast these people that we recognize, but like just seem B-tier? I'd rather you cast people that I'm less familiar with, which is maybe why I really appreciate Rinko Kikuchi as Mako Mori, right? She's my favorite uh, actor in this film. Um, So I don't know. It's like, it just feels a little bit, it makes the movie feel a little bit B tier, even though it may not be. And I think that that lends itself to to maybe kind of this critique. It's like, I I do think this film had the potential to reach out to a broader audience in a way Um, something similar to to what we might see in like a star Wars film or Lord of the Rings film. Um, Because those two films uh, and other films like it, they seem to tap into something that this film just doesn't quite have. And I think that's this emotional center that's rooted in a personal connection. That's not to say everyone loves Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. Um, And we could even go a bit more niche here and and think about a recent blockbuster that I think does this well, which is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Not everyone likes these films, but at the heart of these films are characters that we can relate to. We relate to their struggle. They go on this journey and through that journey, even though it might not be all that original, it has this connective tissue that, that everyone appreciates or that lots of people appreciate. I personally enjoy that. Uh, they tap into what would might be called the hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell would call it, right? This film doesn't have that. Raleigh doesn't have a journey that we see on film. Mako has a journey to an extent, but unfortunately, she's not the main character. I kind of wish she was, honestly. Uh, and do I want uh hero's journey in all my films? No, no, that's not what I'm saying here. But this sort of film, that that is appealing to a wide audience. In order for it to have lasting appeal beyond the nerds like us, it needed to do something a bit more universal. Does that make sense?
1: It kind of does. I I, I would well because I Mako see the potential there. Not... Like I
0: see it there. Like you have you have all the elements like you have the budget, right? You, you have the director. Uh, this could be, this could have, I think launched a bigger franchise uh, than what we have. Even though I know we're getting, we have the anime coming out. I get that. There's a sequel. I have I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I, I know that, but like the only, I, the, the only people I see interested in the sequel in the anime are Fans like us.
1: Well, the hero's journey isn't going to sell anybody else on the movie, though. I, I, I don't. I don't see that selling people on a movie, not because they're sold on the trailer, right? And the trailer would probably if if I had to go back and watch it, most trailers would imply some sort of hero's journey for the most part.
0: No, they're not sold on. They're not sold on the hero's journey. Uh, but I'm saying what I'm saying is it goes beyond how much the movie made at the box office. It goes. It goes. Uh, it's more along the lines of the lasting appeal of a movie and, and how much those that aren't like inherently interested in kaiju remember about the film and appreciate it about the film, right? Uh, it's like whoever went to go, like I saw this film in with you. I, I could hardly tell you anything about it. Uh, See, I remember it, almost it did, all it. It didn't it. It didn't stick with me. But I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a kaiju fan in 2013. You were a kaiju fan in 2013, right? Yeah. Uh, and I was, I was the general audience that I'm talking about. Like, If this film had that, I think I would have definitely connected with it back then more than I did. I like it now for the elements that I've come to appreciate as a, a kaiju giant monster fan. But I, I don't see the wider appeal to a general audience still uh, that I think it could have had. And I know some people will say, well, it doesn't need a wider appeal. But I mean, yeah, that's fine. We, we can keep giant monsters in our own little fan base, right, uh, and just appreciate them ourselves. That, that's fine. Uh, but I think we had the potential here to do something different a little bit.
1: Well, I think this is different because it doesn't do what you're telling it to, which would be do what every other movie does. (laughs) No, I'm not asking it. I'm not asking it to do what every other movie does. I'm not
0: asking it to do what, what Marvel does. I'm asking for some emotional connective tissue, right, that would appeal to just being human. Right? I don't think we I don't think we get that. I don't think we get that. Uh,
1: see I, I I have that with Mako's character is I, I think that that actually has a lot enough emotional She has the most, but
0: she's not the main character. But she, she needs to be the is main character. She's pretty of this movie. much
1: a co main character, right? I mean, yeah, she's not in the opening ten minutes of the film, but she's right there side by side with him throughout the rest of it. She her and him are I would consider the two of them, the main characters and then everybody else. Like I wouldn't even like uh, Pentecost. Yeah, but there. but
0: she's, she's, I wish she was the main character and I, I wish that she was the one that was taking the primary actions, but she's a follower, right? She's, she's a follower, unfortunately. Right. Uh, she does. She's not the one that makes the, the sacrifice at the end or the potential sacrifice at the end. Um, he does. Right. Right. If she would made the sacrifice, I, there's just so many different ways that I think I, it could have been it could have been even more emotionally powerful for me uh mm-hmm. and I think framing her as the main character is one way to potentially get at
1: that mm-hmm. okay um let's see if I had any marks against the film uh I... yeah what would you say like like i, I know i I've, I've mentioned some
0: critiques that I have but but what about you do you have any uh sort of critiques
1: uh t- I mean, it'd probably be the exposition, but if I'm being completely honest, it, even that doesn't really bother me because the exposition really does just set up this epic tale that we are like immediately thrown into. Like I mentioned, I, I like that at the beginning, we're just thrown into it. We're there's we're we are laden with some exposition, but it's so bizarre and different that. Mm-hmm you know, it's not like a world war II drama where I'm having to hear about what front is attacking what front. And it's just like really boring (laughs) exposition or something like that. You know, this is just, it's all so bizarre and interesting. And and this, this world really reminds me a lot of how I felt about Peter Jackson's King Kong. Mm. It's clearly this passion project where every single detail of this world has been put into consideration and executed. With, like, really awesome precision. And another thing that I really liked that Del Toro did was the score in the film. We haven't even mentioned it. Oh, yeah. You know, (laughs) I remembered it being pretty good. And, you know, anytime you can think of a film uh, and you hear the theme in your head, you know that someone killed it. And Ramin uh, Jawad really killed it. For sure. His music perfectly accentuates all of the action scenes. And speaking of action scenes, the movie does these right. These are some of the most exciting and visually impressive giant monster fights that we've encountered so far. Like the neon lit city, which definitely inspired what we're going to see in Godzilla versus Kong (laughs) is Mm -hmm. just so great looking. Everything is so crisp. Like that coupled with the interesting camera work during all these fight scenes. I mean, these the, these are fight scenes in dark in the rain with uh, CG monsters and CG robots that are completely coherent. We we see yeah. everything happening. We know where every blow is being landed, and the CG is perfect. This this is this yeah. is the type of CG that is not going to age.
0: It is re- it's really great. Um, <laughs> it is very impressive. No no doubt about that. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the action of this movie. (laughs) Um, but it is pretty spectacular. Uh, yeah. When it comes to the kaiju action and kaiju battles specifically, I don't know if we've seen better. Um, and yeah, (laughs) I don't know if we've seen better and we've seen Godzilla raids again. Yes. And and we've even even (laughs) included Godzilla raids again. I don't know if we've seen better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The, the double event in China is uh-huh. so yeah. awesome oh yeah that whole thing is so, so good. good yeah it's a
0: great sequence yeah that could have been the climax of the film honestly it, it, was, it, oh, it, it really
1: great. could have um yeah the because the, you could say the second sequence is a little lacking because it's all underwater things are slower but it does mm-hmm. have a lot of tension because they are so up against a wall um yeah that it actually that's what makes that it still works more
0: yeah exactly exactly I'm with you there, uh, but hey, and Plus today, Alex. It sounds like we have a little bit more, maybe like outside of this episode that we want to talk about in yeah. regards to this film. Like as far as like kind of our disagreements about it, and just our disagreements in general.
1: <laughs> just all disagreements. <laughs>
0: I think no. I think there's 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 something here. Like I think our we, our conversation was just scratching the surface as to maybe a disagreement that we have. Not not a disagreement we're going to like be at each other's throats about, no. but maybe just about the value of what makes a good film a good film, potentially. Mm. And so I want to talk about that. I want to talk yeah. about that. Uh, but I also want to talk about Dragon Ball updates, <laughs> because yes. we finished Dragon Ball. And I know you've been watching Dragon Ball Z. Okay. And then we were talking before the show about Kamen Rider versus Ultraman, specifically the aesthetics of the two, um, and which we like more. Uh, So we're going to talk about that in MVM+. And if you're interested in that, you can go to patreon.com slash Pod and receive this week's MVM+, and all the previous ones as well. All right? Cool. Well, let's go ahead and transition in to... Zimzilla's going to be happy about this. The (laughs) Gwenda. The (laughs) Gwenda. What's happening? Look
1: at that monster.
0: Oh, she's so big.
1: It's a big yeah, so I'm showing Gwen the clip in Hong Kong, where the monster is.
0: She's a bad where, monster.
1: I think it's Otachi is she, meeting she's the a bad guy. He is a bad guy, but look, here comes a good guy. Oh, well,
0: she's a. Bad guy.
1: You see that good guy? It's wow. a big robot. Yeah, that's
0: a bad guy monster.
1: That's right.
0: Thank you, Tachira. Have a good weekend. <laughs>
1: Alright, hang on, let's, let's keep watching. What, what do you think what do you think's happening, buddy? Oh! Whoa. You got hit. Wow, It's a
0: beauty it? yeah. Look at the big Yeah. Look at that big robot! Who's inside of that robot?
1: Uh, those people you saw? They're inside the robot. Uh-oh. Where did the monster go? I think she's hiding. That my right. robot. Oh, look, here comes the monster.
0: Ah! don't see. It's not you now? What's happening to the robot?
1: That's acid.
0: Whoa. What's acid do?
1: It melts stuff.
0: Yes, you can
1: eyes. Yeah. Uh oh, look. Watch but this. That,
0: but look. that's a big alien. She's Whoa.
1: a. No, she's a tattoo. She's a tattoo, Daddy. Yeah. She's playing sure. the robot. Oh,
0: no. That's bad, boy.
1: Look, they're going to beat him. Watch this. They've got one more trick up their sleeve. Literally.
0: Wow, she played the monster.
1: They beat the monster. All right. Now, Gwen, what did you think of that? Did you like that? Yeah. Well, uh, will you say, that's the Gwen dar?
0: That's the dar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump into our awards. First award. As always, Alex, start us off. Coolest character award. Who do you have?
1: Um, my coolest character award, you know, it's gotta be Pentecost. I don't know if there's another character you can really give this to. Like even joking, I couldn't even like jokingly give this to like anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Herman. Herman. Yeah. Because Pentecost is so uh, Yes, that's (laughs) it. But he's so cool. He gives all these great lines, all these fantastic speeches. He is really nuanced. Like, he doesn't seem like it a lot, but it becomes very clear that he realizes that he is the connective tissue and that he can't afford to relent in anything that he does. He can't give an inch because he is all there is between the apocalypse.
0: I like I like you saying that he can't give an inch because he certainly doesn't, right? <laughs> um, and I I agree. I mean, you can't even argue that he's not the coolest character. I mean, right. that's just obvious, right? Um, I mean, you've got Idris Elba playing him. I mean, that's that's awesome. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but I'll say this: uh, the second coolest character to me. I've already I've already uh, shown my hand here is Mako. Uh, she's the one that we see struggling with her past and overcoming her past, and I appreciate that about her. My favorite part of the movie is definitely her storyline and the connections that appear between her, Raleigh, and Pentecost. You, men- you mentioned Pentecost is the, the glue that holds these characters together. I think you can make the case for Mako in, in a sense where she has the strongest emotional connection with both of these other two main characters, Raleigh and Pentecost, right? Um, She is the one that has the strongest bond with those two individually. So Mako is is really cool. Um, But yeah, I I can't argue too much about
1: Pentecost, (laughs) Alex. Yeah, Mako is cool, especially when she comes out of Rochelle. And her past is just so... I love that moment where that uh, Pentecost steps out of the thing, and he, she's uh, the whole the whole. Yeah, scene it's a is great awesome. use of
0: flashback. It's a great use of flashback
1: for sure. It is. um so. What about your most memorable line award?
0: Well, since you took Pentecost as the coolest character, I'll choose one of his coolest lines, and it's not the canceling the apocalypse line, which is something. I do wish we could cancel <laughs> the apocalypse. Um, but and it is such a cool line, but it's actually the line that comes before and it's today at the edge of at the edge of our hope at the end of our time we have chosen not only to believe in ourselves but in each other right mm. which is kind of what is needed when these characters are drifting as they need to um <laughs> mm. trust in each other uh for them to work together it's like literally <laughs> it's a little on the nose obviously like they have to work together but i think that is what makes this film interesting there's another aspect of the film that i just think like i'm actually excited to to see these next two entries in the franchise because i'm curious what they do with this drift space like uh i i I really think the drifting idea is an interesting one one which was established really well and i think could have been explored even a bit further here
1: Mm, yeah for sure uh there's a lot to explore in this world. Like you don't even have to do the <laughs> game yeah. versus the Kaiju. Really? There's right. a lot of ramifications from those encounters oh. that you could cover. Um, yeah. but my line is from Gottlieb. He says, numbers are the closest, thing closest we get to the handwriting of God. And then Giesler in the background, like after that line, he goes, what? And then he just starts cackling, laughing. Yeah. It's right. great because there are, uh, the, the line is so, hammed up and just ridiculous that i love that we get a geyser almost like fourth wall moment uh after it
0: yeah for sure what about your can't believe that acting award
1: you know i feel like idris elba as uh pentecost is just too easy so and he's been in our last two awards so i'll pick someone who i think is actually overlooked in this film a lot and that's charlie hunnam as riley beckett all right uh he keeps his what no, I said, all right, yeah. Oh, okay. He I, he keeps his character pretty understated. It's kind of like mentioned. Mitch- were, you,
0: were you waiting for me to disagree with you?
1: No, I, I, I thought, uh, I was considering how I pronounced the name, and then you said, all right, and it completely threw me off, because uh, <laughs> I was so focused, I was like, man, I think I butchered the name. Uh, anyway. He's, he's not the hothead that he used to be in the opening moments of the film. And we even do catch glimpses of that character. Like his previous character on occasion. And I also really like how he effectively shows how much more in control he is. Even if he shows like these little frustrations in his face. And I really like, again, how we see him challenge Pentecost in ways without... For the most part, until the final... Until a certain moment, but for the most part, without challenging him because he shows so much respect for Pentecost that he understands the chain of command. And he's even though he used to be a hothead, he knows how to follow it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's learned for sure. Uh, for the can't believe that acting award for me, there's, there's only one choice here and it's Rinko Kikuchi as Mako, um, I know I gave her a shout-out as the second coolest character already and have already kind of sung her praises. But again, that character's depth doesn't work without the nuanced performance that she brings. You know, those small looks that she gives um, to Raleigh, the awkwardness that she occasionally brings, that (laughs) show that she starts off uh, with but then slowly breaks out of, I really Mm -hmm. like it all. Um, And it's not possible without her performance.
1: Right. Yeah, she, she really is, again, another, underst- I think she's pretty understated and doesn't get enough credit for her performance. Yep. What about your uh, standout effect?
0: So, with this film, it's like, it's a little tricky because so many of the shots are effects as well, right? Because we have a lot of CGI, effective CGI, um, but mine's a certain shot, uh, which, yeah, it is kind of cheating, but it's that sequence where Gypsy walks through the city mm. and we see his reflection on one of the buildings, like the skyscraper there, which is seems like a direct, uh, like it just seems like it's it's paying dues to Godzilla eighty four there, which I gave another award for like the same thing uh, when we covered that film. <laughs> uh, but then there's that crash through the building where we get the zoom into the Newton's cradle pendulum toy and then back out, uh, which is kind of humorous, right? It was it yes. was kind of silly. But it also just looks really cool.
1: It looks really cool. Yeah, <laughs> it, looks it does. Really cool. <laughs> yeah. What about you, man? Uh just all of it. <laughs> 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 but really, if if I'm gonna pick one moment that I mean the whole the whole China sequence is awesome, but the bomb underwater scene is so cool where uh Pentecost blows his uh his bomb. <laughs> And it creates that vacuum underwater where there's no water. And it's just such a cool-looking effect. Like We see all these things hitting the ground normally. And I think most people, when they're watching it, probably don't even realize what's happened until the water rushes back and hits him. And it's just such an awesome moment. I absolutely love that. That concept yeah. is just so cool.
0: For sure. What about your, oh, that's a good shot award.
1: Uh, you know, I think it probably ties pretty closely with your standout effect. It's a side shot of Gypsy walking through the city, looking for uh, the Kaiju Atachi. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, that's the the bat like one. And, and, and right, the right. shot is really claustrophobic. Like it's right up in on the side of his face while he's walking. But we get all those lights going beside him, and all all the buildings and everything. Dude, it just looks so awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, great scene. Like that's yeah. that's the coolest scene in the movie uh, is, the, is the fight in the city. Absolutely. Yeah. What about you? Uh, so so we don't get a uh, typical sunset shot, unfortunately, Alex, in this film. <laughs> but we get a freaking space sunset shot, right? <laughs> uh, with with uh, a giant uh, mecha and a kaiju, right? In the foreground. That's pretty yes. awesome. That's uh, awesome. We see the sun setting over the horizon of the earth. Uh, it doesn't get much we better do. for a sunset shot. So I had to go with that one, though. I also like the shot where they fall back down to earth. Um, and you see it, you see the Jaeger gypsy Jaeger literally seeming like a, uh, like an asteroid falling yes. back uh, before saving itself
1: dramatically.
0: I loved both of those shots. Oh, so good. So good.
1: All right, Eric, <laughs> Go ahead, break my heart. Uh, let's give us hear your rating and ranking in the Pacific Rim universe. <laughs> I honestly
0: don't think I don't think I'm going to break your heart, Alex. Because as no. I as I said, I appreciate this movie and I like this movie. Um, I think it's a whole lot of fun. Those monster battles, which we just scratched the surface in talking about, they kept me interested in their choreography. Because here's another aspect. I always felt like the Jaegers were the underdog. Yes. <laughs> um, it really feels were. that
1: way, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> it does. And it just becomes more and more so as we get the Category 4s and the Category 5s. In my eyes, though, this is what the Transformer movies probably aspired to be, but never quite lived up to. Mm-hmm. Um, both in terms of the action and like the characters right? Uh, There's an over the top Shakespearean element to this whole movie that I also think brings a certain gravitas to the proceedings. But with that said, I think the movie has the potential to be a blockbuster or had the potential to be a blockbuster that reached beyond the usual genre audience and, and could have been a film that is still talked about today among general audiences um with with high budget sequels directed by uh, del Toro himself potentially right but it yeah. never quite reaches those heights It never quite matches its own ambitions because that's where I would say that that's the only reason I'm I'm putting that standard on it is because it feels like it has those sorts of ambitions um I wouldn't I wouldn't put that on it like I'm, I'm not putting on these ambitions to uh, the son of Godzilla But I feel like it does have those ambitions here. Um, So with that said, because of the foundation that we see here, uh, and I I can't wait to see what happens in Pacific Rim Uprising and Pacific Rim, whatever it's called, the black anime. Mm -hmm. um, Into the black, the black. No, just the black. The black. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what these two um, properties do with it. Because it has so much potential. So, for me, this is a 3.5 out of 5.
1: Oh. That is about... I told you it was going
0: to break your heart. I told you I was it actually thinking,
1: I, you know, before we even did this, I was thinking like a .5. And then, uh-huh. all you did was drop criticisms. So I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think like Kong Skull Island, this is peak monster movie popcorn cinema. While messages may be a little lacking or really understated, the film makes up for it in about 20 other ways for me. Uh, I love the characters because they go a long way for, uh, they just completely contribute to to the world building for me, just like the Mm -hmm. exposition in the beginning and all the locations and every other facet of this movie. And it's, this movie has these King Kong 05 level vibes of, like, it just being this fully realized world where every detail is painstakingly thought about and, like, you know that this is a passion project someone loved. Then we get to the craft of the fight sequences, which are absolutely excellent. Not only can we see everything, which is really nice, but they stay fresh and creative by throwing in new weapons, monsters, and killing a lot of people. <laughs> Which yeah. really, the the killing of the characters, I cannot emphasize how important that is for this film because it you keeps love the you stakes love characters alive. I do because it keeps the <laughs> stakes alive. And this film, for me, wouldn't be nearly as good if no one died and everyone just lived at the end. It would have right. felt really hollow. And like these kaiju, uh, like you said, the underdog. One of the reasons these Jaegers feel like underdogs to these is because two of the coolest ones get wiped out instantly. <laughs> right. 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 Which really contributes to that underdog vibe. So I think Guillermo del Toro crushed this one. He got the right composer to create the perfect music for it. And really, this is a world that he needs to revisit. So I give this a four point five out of five for me. Nice, nice.
0: No, I I figured. Uh, yeah, I, I I knew you liked this film a lot, um, and it, as I said, I like I like it too. I, I really do. Uh, do you have any rhymes for next week? Pacific Rim Uprising. Uprising.
1: Acts? I do, and I actually crafted one right before we got on.
0: Oh,
1: I did. Ooh. So. <clears throat> I hope Pacific Rim Uprising has something surprising or at least something worth analyzing because after watching it last time, I need advising. Ooh, (laughs) you had a lot of uh, S-I-N-G verbs there,
0: Alex. Yes, Yes. (laughs) yeah. And I have several too, but none of ours overlap this week. Oh! (laughs) Will Pacific Rim Uprising be an example example of emphasizing... What makes the original great? Or does Uprisings downsizing have need of revising?
1: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Eric. This is one of those films I went and saw in theaters. And I was like, oh, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And over time, I have really come down on it. So I'm kind of hoping it surprises me. All right. I'm really hoping it surprises me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason I said doesn't need revising because yeah. i I have heard your first takes on it, so um, or yeah. recent takes on it. But we 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 shall see, right? Um, sometimes they surprise us. The films they that do. that we might not think we would like, we like, and sometimes the well. films we think we like, we we don't.
1: Everyone so, knows we don't shy away from unpopular opinions, so I'm sure we'll be happy to give it <laughs> if we feel that way.
0: Uh, yep. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod uh, on Letterboxd for Eric Neely and Alex Cornett. You can email us, mvmpod at gmail.com or leave us feedback at nvmpod.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash mvmpod and receive weekly bonus off-the-cuff episodes in Plus, which as you already heard, you can hear uh, how much of a pretentious snob I truly can be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if you feel so led... Uh, and don't uh, want to join the Patreon, leave us a review on iTunes or or share this podcast with a friend. Those reviews and shares really help. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornette. Executive producers are Faye Bacier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senora Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week. Try to stay.
1: Alive.
0: a two boy now boy but the world.